0: And it's limited.
1: Okay. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about healthcare um, and specifically the problem of the society has uh, the problem of deciding how and whether healthcare is paid for. Um, because there are cases where um, there could be a desire for healthcare or you might call a need for healthcare, but the person who desires it or needs it. Um, cannot afford it. Um, and so I guess, uh, Nadav, you can get started in, in, in sharing your thoughts on, you know, maybe framing the question about how healthcare that cannot be afforded might or should be paid for.
0: So maybe we'll think take the base case and think about it as any product or service. So nobody is arguing that if you want the latest model of an iPhone and you decide you can't afford it, then society has a role to play in you getting it. Um, but with healthcare, it's different. There's a moral aspect to it, where we think that if there's a possible, if it's going to save your life and it's possible to do, in terms of healthcare technology or healthcare, the standard of healthcare today, then somebody should come in. And come up with the money basically. Mm-hmm. There's several issues here. One is what's the overall cost of healthcare to begin with for everybody, not just people who need it, that can't afford it. And then once you get, if you are able to reduce the cost of healthcare and increase the quality, then obviously the number of people who can't afford it will come down. Mm-hmm. But then, and then the second issue is, okay, once you have reduced the number of people who can't afford healthcare, to the minimum that you can, how do you deal with it as a society? How do you address this need?
1: Yeah, and I I think that one of the issues is is it's hard to draw a line between um, treatments that are extremely beneficial and extremely life-saving and extremely inexpensive for what they do to, on the other side, treatments that improve quality of life in a small way relative to their cost. Um, So, you know, even if we believe that there is some sort of societal obligation to pay for some health care, where's the line drawn? Um, You know, to give an example, uh, there are certain generic drugs that can be used in the treatment of cancer, and they can have a relatively low cost and they can have a relatively high benefit. And on the other hand, there are, um, you know, for example, a knee replacement surgery where it can be maybe expensive, um, and it can improve the quality of life, um, but it's clearly not as advantageous as having your life extended. Um, so, I mean, it, it is. I, I guess the society has to come up with, uh, you know, wh- where to draw that line. Um, but maybe you're going in a different direction. Um, so, so actually, can you can you repeat like the question you were you were you you were trying to ask or you're, you're asking?
0: That's right. No, I, I actually was going in the same direction. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, and I think yes. I mean, in some senses, we should unpack what the word "society" means here. So imagine this wasn't healthcare. This was Ford Mustang, which is a sports car. Mm-hmm. So obviously, nobody says it's a moral issue. So then you just have a marketplace, and you have people, and then companies and the companies are incentivized to reduce the price of sports cars and increase the quality because they wanna sell more. Uh, And there's also pride in their work. Engineers that work on these cars care about producing the best product. And consumers save up for those or take a loan or whatever it is, or decide not to buy them and maybe they'll rent them or something like that. Mm -hmm. And to some extent that should happen in healthcare. There are many, many procedures that you probably, you know, it's okay that you don't have them, mm-hmm. um, even yeah. though you would benefit from them. But, but the issue is, how do you know when it stops becoming a sports car?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The yeah. marketplace would say, okay, well, the person themselves, the patient themselves should make that decision and should save up for the procedure. And if they can't afford it at the time, they would take a loan for that, and that loan could be a private loan maybe it could be backed by the government in some way but that introduces a moral hazard or whatever or they can go and go fund me and try to convince other people to help them or they can go to charity organizations like churches or whatever that would be like a market-based solution more or less mm-hmm.
1: yeah and so there there are you know mark there's market-based insurance and that that helps. I think that when when there is not a market-based solution, that's when um, you really have a question. Because you know, let me give an example. There's uh, this expensive drug called Spinraza, and Spinra it has a uh, it's used in the treatment of I think I don't know exactly, but maybe mus- muscular dystrophy. I'm not sure, but basically, um, the vast majority of people who have this disease. Cannot afford this drug, um, and usually, you know, insurance will will cover it when necessary. Um, and no one is going to get a loan for this drug; it's just not 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 feasible. I mean, it's like mid six figures um, at a minimum, I think. Um, and it it improves quality of life. It I don't know the details, but let's assume it does not extend life. Maybe it does, but let's assume it doesn't. Um, let's also assume, I think, I think it's reasonable to assume that if, if you started a GoFundMe campaign, you're an average person, it's not going to succeed. Like the average person maybe can get $10,000 and GoFundMe for something, but the average person without having much social media expertise is going to have a very difficult time getting half a million dollars. And so what is society to do on the one side? the pharma company, let's also assume that the pharma company needs to charge half a million dollars in order to justify development of the drug in the first place, that they wouldn't have developed it if uh, they were going to charge $10,000. And so it's not that the pharma company is um, kind of trying to be extortionary or anything like that. Let's like put that aside. Um, So then, you know, should the government pay for this how do you determine that in this example?
0: Yeah. Well, the other solution is insurance, but imagine a person doesn't have insurance, which is a marketplace solution, but imagine the person yeah. did not acquire insurance and then develop this disease and now he needs or she needs the medication. Well, on the face of it, you can say, okay, well, it's no problem for the government to do this because how many people are gonna be in the situation? And this is a justified, obviously justified, to be able to move, it's a huge improvement of life. And there's not gonna be a lot of people who object for the government to pay for this person's disease. Mm -hmm. But once you generalize it to the societal case, well, how do you draw the line? Are you gonna have a panel of doctors who look at every single condition and every single severity of condition? Or maybe they look at a case-by-case basis. How do you then decide what's the pool of money? Is it gonna be adjudicated in every election? And what's the incentives of politicians? Are they just going to increase the pool of money? And then, little by little, the number of conditions that are going to be covered by this emergency fund is going to increase? So this is tough to know.
1: It is tough, and and this is a problem that certain countries have have uh, tried to tackle. And the way that, that certain countries have done it, like, for example, in the UK, is that they will um, analyze each potential treatment um, on the basis of how many quality-adjusted life years does it generate. Um, you know, So even a non a, a, a treatment that does not increase the length of life can in, increase quality-adjusted life years. Um, and then they will look at the cost of, of that treatment. And they'll look at the ratio. And they will say that everything that is above uh, this threshold for that ratio um, is okay for the government to fund and everything that's below that threshold is not okay for the government to fund. And so, yes, there is a panel that makes this decision. Um, you know, there's also in insurance companies, there's a similar panel that that makes that decision and, and, and they have their incentives. The government, you know, obviously it's very arbitrary how they come to this decision. I, I think that they just get some smart people in a room and they agree on something, but it's going to be somewhat arbitrary. But, you know, maybe we shouldn't put too much emphasis on the fact that it is arbitrary, because sometimes choosing something arbitrarily is better than not choosing something at all. Um, and uh, so, okay, you know, you found a way to, to choose. And you mentioned, like, okay, maybe some uh, one political party might have a different idea about what the threshold should be Relative to the other party, and so certain things that were covered under one party are not going to be covered under the other party. Um, it's interesting because, you know, in practice, we don't we don't see that because, like, take for example the way Medicare and Medicaid operate. Um, I think that the operation of Medicare and Medicaid is pretty like resilient uh, to which party is is in power. Uh, I don't know why that is. But I, I feel, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel that what people get covered uh, under this program just is kind of stable, is kind of set in the books or something like that. Um, and maybe there's some reason that it's, it's, it's fixed. Um, so, yeah, like I guess, what is the, what is the problem with, with that sort of uh, setup um, for these uninsured people?
0: Well, I mean, the usual problem is that people will vote themselves bigger and bigger benefits because it's not their money, the government's money, which is obviously their money, but very much indirectly. So um, yes, Medicare and Medicaid don't get touched. They just uh, keep expanding. And that's true in many, many government-sponsored healthcare situations. And so what you have is an agreement in a democracy of slowly expanding benefits That are granted to you just because you're a citizen for which you pay but uh you know not enough in other words there's always going to be government debt associated with these programs they always they don't tax enough in order to uh cover the debt but the equilibrium that happens is worse for arguably worse for everybody i'm suggesting this i'm not saying this is how it happens Mm -hmm. um because you have an ever-expanding list of benefits and a government program is by definition is going to be inefficient. So it's going to retard innovation and we're also going to keep the cost of healthcare higher than otherwise would be in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So while people who cannot afford insurance um, are able to get treated, which is good question is what's the cost for everybody else and themselves too, in the, in the, in the cost of care, in the standard of care and in the innovation of the entire system.
1: Uh, Yeah, so there are two responses I want to give. Uh, One is that I'm thinking about the mechanism, you talk about the mechanism of of expansion of benefits. Now, in healthcare, it's kind of unique because each individual disease is had by a very small minority of people. Uh, And so the majority of voters don't really care about, let's say, prostate cancer. Um, Majority voters don't really care that much about um, gastrointestinal disorders. Um, it's a matter of people who care about these things. And so I don't think that there's going to be some sort of successful, I mean, you could have a lobby, I guess, for each of these areas that will increase, uh, and maybe the lobby is, is uh, funded by pharmaceutical companies. So actually that could that could work, that could happen. Maybe the pharma company is going to try to expand benefits that benefit. It, and maybe the Physicians Association of uh, Gastroenterologists is going to lobby for uh, expansion of coverage for their GI-related uh, treatments and, and surgeries. So yeah, I guess that can happen. And I totally agree that once you create a benefit, uh, it's very hard to remove it because you know the cases uh, where, where someone has lost their benefit become very um, apparent in media and people don't like that. Um, Okay, so so that makes sense uh, to some extent. I just think that it's not it's not the voters who are going to expand be the, the the cause for the expansion of benefits because the power of people who have illnesses is actually very very small. But I think that the power of the pharma companies and the power of you know, physicians is is uh, is, is greater. Um, but the other point about the uh, like retarding innovation. Um, I think a lot of times this there's a presumption that when government is involved, um, it has to be involved in a way uh, where it controls, uh, it, it, it replaces the markets as the um, controlling force over like industry. Um, and yeah, so if the government decided what treatments are covered are paid for and what are not, um, yeah this could retard innovation because maybe it takes 20 years to get a new treatment approved by the government uh, under Medicare and Medicaid maybe I'm not I'm just I don't know um, and maybe because of that you know some innovations that would have come about cannot have a don't have a financial incentive to come out um, I think that there is one conceivable solution to that which is separating the market-based decision-making from the funding. And so like, this is the idea that you see in charter schools where, um, you know, this idea that used to be pretty popular where uh, the government would give people a, what do they call it? Not a coupon, a but a voucher, right. They give people a voucher and then the person who can't afford, you know, maybe can't afford the, the school. Now they, they use their, their decision-making power to choose the best school and put their money where they think it should go. And the idea of that is that this doesn't get in the way of innovation because people are you know, voting for the best school. Maybe there's a way in healthcare where um, people who can't afford it can get the, the money in their hands and then they can, you know, like a voucher, and they can spend it the way that they see fit. Now, they can't spend it in a casino, they have to spend it on, on healthcare. Um, but, uh, but do you think that would solve that, that problem of, of, of retarding innovation?
0: It certainly helps if you have a competitive element, um, in a situation that helps that's better than some committee deciding whatever. Um, and that's a very different mechanism than saying this committee will pay this much based on quality adjusted life. This is like, here's 10 K every year and you can only spend in on a healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't you can bank it and you know so on
1: well but it has to be the problem is it has to be adjusted for what your ailment is because you could have that ailment that costs half a million dollars and so you know does but then it mean you can get then a loan that
0: based on your future payments now i mean
1: yeah you you could but i'm i'm assuming that i mean it's definitely the case that there are people for whom it's irrational to lend, like it's irrational to lend them half a million dollars. There are certainly people like that in this world, um, in this country, where you know, for example, if they're earning minimum wage, it does not make sense to lend that person half a million dollars. But you're gonna, but just
0: with the fact that you you're a citizen, you get X amount of dollars for healthcare, so you can borrow against that, borrow even against if you're them. not even working, even if you don't get okay. income.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That could make sense. Um, then you have the issue though of the like lifetime limit. You know, because, you know, you could have by age 60 spent your whole, your whole uh, allotment. Um, I think the, and then you're faced with the same problem you had initially. I mean, if that sort of system were to be put in place, I think that people have to be given more or less money based on their health status. Like, for example, there are certain people who are just born uh, requiring more medical attention than others. Um, And they're going to run out of their allotment by age 20. And other people are not going to use their allotment their whole life. Um, So that's an issue. The other problem is if you give people, so if you give people this money to spend and you say to them, okay, if you don't spend it, you get to keep it. Well, the benefit of that is that they're going to be making some really, really great decisions from a free market perspective, because they're really weighing their their, their options. They're, they're weighing getting the treatment versus getting a car and things like that. But the problem also, the, the, just the, the fact of the matter is that the decision about medical treatment is a decision that's very difficult for doctors to make often. And so it's literally practically impossible for individuals to know the right decision. Um,
0: so that's a separate issue from how to fund healthcare. I mean,
1: if you're gonna have we crept into it though, you know, because when you're talking about giving people the money and the freedom to choose, then the problem is that like, they're not equipped to make the choices.
0: But that's a very strong statement. That means that nobody's, a doctor cannot make a decision for you because if doctors did that, they'll have so much power and there's going to be such a moral hazard for everything. I mean, you don't know why doc, there's bad doctors. There's Doctors, they don't show your moral values. There's doc, they can give you a prognosis, which is Mm -hmm. what happens today. That's their job. It's kind of like a lawyer, right? The lawyer tells you, okay, this is what's gonna happen in the court of law, if you sue, whatever. Yeah, Sure, they can do that, but people are perfectly equipped to make their own decisions and they get medical advice to be sure, but that's, you know, we can't remove decision-making ability from people.
1: Okay, right. So today, like the doctor is going to give you advice and they're going to they're, what the doctor is doing for every patient is dumbing it down for them. Um, kind of like an expert in a, in a trial dumbs it down for the, the jury. Like they, they, they simplify the situation so that an individual can make a decision. And they're like, look, if you do this treatment, this is what's going to happen in your life. Do this treatment. This is what's going to happen in your life. Um, and so they do that today. And people, you know, make their choices. And. Um, whether people make correct choices or not, and, and by the way, we we also believe that doctors are going to know well enough to make good give good advice. And I guess even if people were given the you know money, doctors can give the same exact advice they give now. The problem is that people will have to not only weigh what is the best health decision for them, but also think about like uh, cost adjusting each each option. And I believe that a large portion of the country, I mean, if these were questions given to people on a test, like in school, and they had to choose which which is the best option based on some sort of principle, they would get these questions wrong. Like they would not, answering these questions requires, like because once you have to pay for it, you need to go you need to go deeper. Maybe, I, you know, I, I, I don't know, like maybe, maybe it's not any more difficult than the, than the problem that patients face today. Um, because I guess the money part is not the hard part. The hard part is that understanding the health outcomes part. But you know, maybe it's also that if it were such a, if it was totally free, the patient might not trust the doctor on the advice that they were giving. And that's another issue altogether, like whether the doctor should, should be regulated in terms of receiving kickbacks and things like that. Um, but that, maybe that's a separate topic.
0: Um, how's it different than any other spending decision? What is medicine?
1: Well, the difference, so okay, the, the, there is a difference, which is that the decision is harder, it's just harder. I, I don't know like, anything
0: about cars, I don't know how to walk, a car. I know how to drive it how do I know which car
1: to buy? Okay, with the car, I think that the way it works is like you look at these expert like uh, opinions, like it has a five star safety rating. This is the speed, this is the gas mileage. And you know how much you value these factors. And so using that information, you can decide on the the car. Um, Now, like in healthcare, yeah, if someone tells you you're going to live this long on this treatment and you're going to have like the ability to walk on this treatment, a person can make a decision given that information. That's definitely, I agree with that. But I think that, and I think that's how people make the decisions because, you know, the, the, the doctors will, will make, will simplify the decision to that level. But it's, it's a simple, it, if, you, if you actually, so suppose you actually had the ability to understand, let's take cancer because it's a very difficult, uh, like it's a very complicated illness in many cases. Um, I think that if you had the ability, you would want to go based on more than just knowledge of this is going to, you know, you're likely to live this much time on this drug and live this much time on this drug. Like if you had the ability, you'd want to delve deeper into the literature and understand um, the disease at a deeper level. And by doing that, you'd be able to make a better informed decision. You might understand like why you might live longer on this, how your life might be affected on that drug. Like what is the underlying mechanism? What is specific, like what is particular about your body that might make you think that this drug might be better for you personally. And you might even disagree with the doctor. I I think that this can this can happen. Now, I think that that there are some people who can do that level of analysis and there's some people who can't. Um, And it's true that in a car, some people understand cars more than than others do. But I think that there's more, there's more to lose um, and choosing the wrong, like oncology care, uh, and it, when it comes to cars, cars are just simpler than the human body, and so having more knowledge of cars isn't really going to help you that much. I think compared to how, like having the ability to analyze oncology treatments will help you in deter in picking one. I mean, what do you think about that?
0: Another category different. It seems like. Yes, you are making an, a probability estimate in some ways, but you know, if you doubt your doctor, you can go get the second opinion. The other, the other thing is it empirically shows that people's satisfaction ratings of their doctors are correlated with life outcomes. Mm-hmm. So in other words, not perfectly, but positively and significantly so. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it does suggest people have an ability to judge. I also don't know that in a lot of cases it's not clear what the best treatment is. Sometimes it's a decision. Okay. Do I want to prolong my life and have pain versus not? Yeah. Right. And that seems like a personal decision. Right. But in many cases, it's not the case that we're not sure what it is or yes, there are options, but it's not like they're so different, you know, in any case, I don't think this is categoric. This particular aspect of healthcare is not categorically different in, in most cases than buying a car, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know what would be the limiting principle by which you would, just because it's more complicated. So, what if something is very simple, a person can be trusted to do it, but if something is more complicated and the person is not trusted to do it? And it's then-
1: not about trusting, it's just about like if you were given a test, like there are certain principles. Like given a set of principles, the test would say, follow these principles and pick the best option. And I think that people will get a higher score on the car test than on the cancer test.
0: So, I mean, there's more to decisions than intelligence or ability, domain ability. There's the fact that it's you. So you have to make your own decisions about your own life because you're going to be morally okay with it.
1: And there's no it's alternative actually you know I mean you can't even today you have to make the decision yourself. Um, so I guess I'm not even sure what I mean. Uh, like
0: adding That's an mo- interesting question adding
1: yeah. money to the picture doesn't necessarily like I have some discomfort with with, with this and I, I think I'm trying to figure out why like I think I think I believe that I think I believe that people. Would make, okay. I guess, I, I guess I'm afraid people would make the wrong decision. People would underspend on their healthcare. Um, you know, people underinvest in all sorts of things and they might underinvest in their healthcare. But, you know, here's the funny thing the funny thing is that, you know, the unintended result of that is the pharma company is going to reduce their, well, actually, that's not a good thing necessarily. They'll reduce their prices because the demand will go down. But then certain certain treatments will never even come out because they won't invest in in, uh, in in producing them. Like so, for example, suppose there's some of this this chronic, you have this there's a chronic I- I ailment, and there's a treatment someone has to take for the rest of their life. Um, this might be the thing that people will underinvest in, and so maybe the drug company will never even come out with this drug, because they're not going to get enough sales, because people are going to underinvest. In, their, in themselves?
0: So there's certainly orphan drugs, which the government pays for because it affects so few people of the population. Yeah. It's a very extreme disease. So the government, at least in the U.S., and I'm sure in other countries too, they well, I guess most drugs are developed in the U.S., it doesn't matter. But in the U.S., they would help fund uh, the research for a drug like that, for example. So that would be like a... And that one doesn't have a lot of moral hazard, actually, c- compared to most health Schemes. There are also cases. There was one person in China many several years ago who decided to sell his kidney. He was a teenager and to buy a Nintendo game or mm-hmm. a Nintendo machine or something.
1: Yeah.
0: And he had some money left over after having sold his kidney. So I'm not sure what he did with that. But that seems like what you're talking about, which is like, I mean, the person is selling his kidney. It's not the same as healthcare, but you know. Yeah. And then you say, okay, well, that's his decision. Like, who, you know, who is to blame? But he's a teenager.
1: Yeah, it's a special case because, well, suppose he was a twenty-five-year-old. Suppose that's the case.
0: Well, if he's a twenty-five-year-old, it's easier to say, okay, well, I mean, that's not smart. But you're twenty-five. I mean, what, you know? Yeah. If you're eighteen, or sixteen, or fourteen. Then you can make an argument that the person cannot make their own decisions, that the guardians have to make their own decisions. So, age would yeah. be one limiting factor for making your own decisions. Mental aptitude, you know, but that would be again, the very minority of the population. But you can also imagine the opposite case where the, per- the person doesn't have one to have the treatment, but a doctor or a parent wants, wants them to have the treatment, and then they die. The decision doesn't work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, there's no telling. And then the question is, well, why didn't you? Well, the person should have made their own decision. They had. So yes, it's an imperfect situation because we don't know the future. But I, I, I just, I don't know that in this case, having unless the person, the person can say, I give you power of attorney, so you make the decision for me.
1: But and that some, people, people, I, I think some peop, people probably wouldn't do that generally. If they have, they do that at
0: the end of their, close to the end of their lives.
1: Okay. That's a special case where they, they know they're not going to have, you know, the ability. But it, it, assuming the person ha- knows they're going to have the ability to make the decision, they probably would want to make the decision themselves. Yeah. And I guess what I'm saying is that there is some minority of people who, who will make decisions, health decisions for themselves, that they later will regret. And so, you know, the question is like, what level of paternalism is, is acceptable? and what is not? I mean, it's kind of like if you, you know, if you have a park like where there's a cliff, you know, do you have like one small sign that says there's a cliff, don't go further? Or do you have a fence, you fence off the whole cliff? You know, like what is the right level? Um, Is it like what level? I mean, and what are you, you know, what, what are you, is what you're getting in exchange for giving people the ability to choose their treatment worth it. Like, yes, it's certainly, there's certainly a benefit to people choosing um, you know, their treatments themselves because then you'll, you'll theoretically at least have this efficient market. But you know what, there's actually, there is there's an informational failure. So I think that the market, um, if people choose their treatments themselves, the, the market will be efficient if people make rational decisions. But if people don't make rational decisions, then the market will be inefficient. You might say, well, maybe there's no such thing as an irrational decision because it's their decision. It's either what they want or it's not. But I'm saying that there will be some decisions that are what they want, but they will regret those decisions and later realize they were
0: irrational. So if we're talking about averages, because it's societally, yes, there'll be anecdotal people who would regret and be some people who would be happy to have some committee of doctors make decisions for them, which they can, they can sign off their decision-making ability if they choose. But is that true on average? Like on average, would people make, get probabilities from doctors, they get doctor's opinion, they're not gonna make the right rational decision given the information. Mm
1: -hmm. Maybe you're right. Maybe on average decisions will be better. Maybe on average the decisions will be more like closer to the efficient equilibrium. Because, right, so today what is happening is there may be over-treatment in certain cases because of the panel approach. Um, and my concern is that in some cases there might be under-treatment. Uh, maybe those two things balance each other out somehow. And maybe in the end it's, it's, it's better to, you know, have some decisions be suboptimal. But on average, decisions are better.
0: And the key point is, do you make the person who's paying for the healthcare the same as the person who's making the decision about what to get? If they're the same, then you get the most efficiency in terms of, on average, doing the procedures that you should have versus the procedure you shouldn't have. In terms of innovation, you have the most accurate assessment of what the market wants on average. But if you separate them, then you get inefficiencies, but then maybe you can solve corner cases where the person really can't afford something, or maybe they just don't make the right decision habitually. Yeah. And,
1: you know, it, should you plan your system for the corner cases or should you plan it for the average? And I guess you should plan it for the average as long as there's kind of this, uh, like, no one is, like, the system's not set up to fail certain people. So, like you mentioned, you know, people who maybe uh, they, You know, they just don't have the capacity to make decisions and there are people like that. People who could be in a vegetative state or people who um, just have some developmental disorder. You know, those people have to be cared for, but put those aside, you know, that's not that important because that's a a minority, a small minority of the population. Um, So yeah, I think the system could work, um, you know, where people are, you know, given money and they have to decide what to do with it. Um, I do kind of think that people who have certain situations or certain problems need to have more money than others. What do you think about that?
0: Can you repeat that? I'm sorry.
1: Like, I I think that, you know, people like if you're born with a really, really bad ailment, I don't know what it is, um, but maybe you should get more money than, than a person who is, who's, who's not, you know, born with that ailment.
0: Yeah. I mean, so long as the mechanism of identifying who's who is good, more or less on average yeah but if it's not and if it's given to a political system then yeah it might work out for the first few years but then people would vote themselves more and more benefits why because politicians are going to see an incentive to argue for them right i mean say no but i think this should be covered and that should be covered well, under, under, this,
1: under this scheme, people are actually just getting cash. They're not, it's not, the only benefit is the cash. So pe- you're saying yeah, yeah. people would vote themselves to get more lifetime benefit, basically.
0: Well, it would be divided, right? So so you'd have, uh, I mean, that's the risk, right? The question is, is, is the risk, is the cost of that worth it? They might very well be where you say, okay, well, this, yeah, but this segment should get a little bit more because... They're more susceptible to some congenital disease. Yeah, something like that.
1: And you know, we've we've kind of purposefully been talking about congenital diseases, but then there are diseases that are partly congenital or or largely caused by the person. Um, and so, you know, to what extent should such people get get more money? Um, so, say for example, you lead an unhealthy lifestyle. Um, maybe you're a smoker. Should you get more money? um than a person who's not a smoker yeah. <laughs> that's a
0: difficult question that's the moral hazard right because you affect your, your health your health behavior so yeah yeah so these are good questions we've identified some of the important yes. key questions to have
1: we have um, and and you know we've gotten somewhere uh we haven't gotten 100 of the way there uh, but somewhere, yeah, healthcare, it, it's difficult. And I think it's even ta- its difficult to, to, to think about it because it's very hard to think about healthcare the way we think about other products, I think. Um, so I think, you know, we, we have to because it's, it, it is different. Um, but anyway, uh, that was a good conversation. And I think we can we can stop at this point.